This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome to the French History Podcast. My name is Gary Chirot. Episode 5, The Metals Revolution and the Revolution of Ideas. Before I jump into the narrative itself, I want to thank the School of Advanced Research and Dr. William Parkinson for posting a lecture on the Metals Revolution online, which was particularly helpful alongside a number of books I used for research on this period. Since my specialty is in modern France, this period is about as far from my expertise as possible, so it was nice to get a free lecture on it from an expert. One thing which I mentioned in the last podcast was that the dating of the Paleolithic, Mesolithic, Neolithic, and the early Metal Ages are all problematic because of a lack of material evidence and potentially incorrect assumptions based on that evidence. As such, the Stone Age timescale is not set in stone, and neither are the Metals Ages, but instead they often overlap. Dr. Parkinson noted in his lecture that metals in particular have been hard to date because they were the first fully recyclable technology, whereas stones, pottery, and animal bones couldn't easily be refashioned for other purposes, and always left behind some residue in the process of their remaking, every bit of metal could be reused during the smelting process. As such, the first metal objects that have been found are probably not the first invented. Even if archaeologists could find the oldest metal item on Earth, it would not be the oldest item ever made as the oldest metal item was probably smelted and refashioned into some other tool. Because of this, archaeologists originally thought that Europe's Copper Age began in the year 2000 BC, but now many archaeologists push it back as far as 5000 BC. The foundation of today's episode will be the Metals Revolution, which saw early humans abandon stone tools and replace them with copper, bronze, and then iron. This period was not just a revolution in technology or material accessibility. The development of new technologies led to remarkable changes in society. Over the course of the Copper Age through the Bronze Age, Few technologies were invented. There were two new huge breakthroughs during this period, which were the smelting of metal and the use of secondary animal products. Yet, this period was absolutely revolutionary for human beings due to the byproducts of these technologies. The socio-economic, 
cultural, political, religious, ideological, psychological, ethnic, and interpersonal effects of these inventions were enormous. New major technologies are always transformative, and the metals revolution was one of the most important periods of transformation in human history. But how is it that simple metal tools and milking goats and other animals, taking hair from sheep, change what it meant to be a human being? I think the best way of thinking about the metals revolution is to compare it to other technological-based breakthroughs in human history. Perhaps the best example is to think of how much the internet changed the world. As someone who was born in 1990, I always lived with the internet, yet the majority of the world, even the majority of the United States for a time, was without the internet during my childhood. So I at least knew what life was like before it, unlike most of my current students, who consistently remind me of my age. Today, the internet serves as one of the most revolutionary breakthroughs in all of human history. Yet, when it was first invented, it had very inauspicious beginnings. <clears throat> the internet was originally invented by the U.S. Department of Defense as a means of rapid communication across long distances. This project was meant to give the U.S. military the capacity to rapidly respond and outflank enemy movements across the world. Despite this, the Internet has gone on to revolutionize every single aspect of human life. The unintended side effects of the Internet are too numerous to even list here, though the major ones are worth considering. The Internet has fundamentally altered communications, as any human being on planet Earth can communicate with another instantly for free. It's completely changed entertainment culture, as any human being can access virtually every movie, TV series, or internet series ever made instantly. Because the internet has allowed for transnational communication, it has led to a greater exchange of ideas than ever before, and a blending of all aspects of culture, from music, literature, even food recipes. The internet has changed communication as regional dialects of English have blended together to form a common English language. The internet has also changed interpersonal relationships. Before the internet, a person's ability to connect with someone was limited to face-to-face -face interactions. While the telephone allowed for long-distance communication, it only provided audio. Today, people can constantly communicate in an audio-visual medium, meaning that spatial boundaries between people have disappeared. But, while we are more connected than ever to people across the world, humans are increasingly isolated from their neighbors and family members, which is another social byproduct of the Internet. On the more negative side, while the Internet has become a repository for human knowledge, much of that knowledge is incorrect. For millions of years of human history, the greatest danger that we've faced is a lack of access to information. Information about which animals might be over the next hill and might try to eat us, information on how to cure a disease or which food is safe to eat. Thanks to the internet, 
there's virtually no lack of information for nearly every problem. Instead, there are the problems of misinformation and irrelevant information. Thus, humanity's entire relation to knowledge has changed. Even what it means to be human has changed, I believe. I'm guessing that any of you listening to this podcast has an internet-accessible phone, meaning that at every single waking moment of your existence, you are in constant contact with the rest of the human race. In this sense, the internet has virtually eliminated the very concept of alone. Most human beings, in the strictest sense, are never alone. Now, isolation is no longer a physical state, but a feeling, as we are always connected to the other 7 billion people on the planet through technology, yet struggle to find meaningful emotional connections to our family members, roommates, neighbors, and co-workers. This incredible invention, known as the Internet, or World Wide Web when I was growing up, was originally invented for the sole purpose of replacing the radio as a more reliable form of communication for troop movements. Instead, it has changed what it means to be a human being. So we can see that every technological breakthrough causes a revolution in society. So while the invention of metal smelting may seem largely unimportant, it did in fact change the very nature of humanity in this era. Smelting meant that these peoples were developing even more specialized technology. In addition to smelting, molds were developed, and we begin to see uniform weapons and tools. The first metal used was copper, which was malleable, making it easy to forge. However, this relatively soft metal was not ideal for hunting or cutting down trees. Tinkering with the smelting process led early smiths to create bronze out of arsenic and copper before eventually copper and tin were combined. Bronze proved far more effective in tools and weapons due to its relative strength versus copper and because it was much lighter than stones. While copper deposits were found across Europe, some of the largest copper deposits came from the Great Ormy Mine in northern Wales and was transported across Europe. Furthermore, the largest deposits of tin north of the Alps came from Cornwall. France was lucky to be so near these two British regions as early French towns could either import the raw materials for smelting or finished products. While copper and other metals were first experimented with before 5000 BC, it is around 3000 BC that bronze became fairly commonplace. Widespread bronze tools meant more efficient hunting and woodcutting, and bronze armored soldiers were far superior to their stone and wood armored counterparts. In addition to smelting, the other major technological breakthrough was the secondary products revolution. Secondary products include animal products that don't use up the animal itself. These products include milk, dairy, cheese, sheep's wool, and fertilizer. Furthermore, draft animals were bred and used for labor, such as delivering goods and pulling plows. 
The addition of milk products meant that early French inhabitants had a broader diet and may have been healthier than their earlier counterparts. Combined with increased fishing, and you could assume, at least, that humans were gaining access to far more food sources, which meant that food was more reliable, and that they, in turn, were probably healthier than their earlier counterparts in the Stone Age. Aside from the immediate effects of bronze instruments, there were a number of byproducts of the metals revolution. Perhaps the most important was socioeconomic inequality. Metal tools didn't decay as easily as other goods, and so wealth could be conserved, leading to families inheriting metal weapons and tools, which meant they were far better off than their neighbors. Bodies were often buried with pottery, animal bones, tools, and other items, possibly because of a belief in a spirit world. But according to Dr. William Parkinson, this was a way of showcasing wealth. This theory is backed up by the fact that only a minority of graves possessed goods, meaning that there was an unequal distribution of goods during this time and a probable politico-economic hierarchy. This period saw the invention of a whole new paradigm, luxury. In France and Germany, metal pins and necklaces denoted power status. Furthermore, bronze razors show evidence of the first known attempts at personal grooming. It is without question that those who could afford to cut their hair and shave their beards and wear metal necklaces would be among the, the elite of the Bronze Age. Thus, the Bronze Age was also the birth of fashion, believe it or not. As a result of socioeconomic inequality and a rising population within communities, these early peoples were probably split into familial groups that were part of a greater tribe, as opposed to a small tribe of interrelated people. Because of this, there was probably a sense among these people that their loyalty was to their family first, and then the tribe. Evidence of this is that megalithic constructs weren't built in the Bronze Age, as tribes did not all come together to form communal burial grounds, and instead families had their own burial places. This in and of itself is pretty revolutionary, as this period potentially saw a definitive split in the thinking of early peoples between family, as a direct lineage group, and tribe, being a culture that one was part of, but was more distant from. In essence, people may have become more insular within the family unit, while interacting with tribes on a secondary basis. Not only that, but during this period, travel became more widespread, making tribes more important as a protective force, even if people's allegiance to the tribe was secondary to their families. Accompanying all of these massive changes was an explosion of travel. Trade networks crisscrossed Europe as tin from Cornwall and copper from Wales and southern Germany was traded across the continent. Cross-cultural trade meant that more wealth accumulation occurred. Concurrently, a whole new profession developed during this period, which was banditry. 
Whereas previous raiders may have stolen food and women, bandits raided towns for wealth. This wealth would then be traded to other towns, so in a strange way, bandits enhanced the trade networks of Bronze Age Europe, as more metals had to be delivered because of bandit raids. Bandits and invaders also led towns to develop fortifications and entrenched people within those towns. Before the metals and secondary products revolutions, people tended to be migratory. Even Neolithic peoples were known to move from one town to another as there wasn't much rooting them in place. One bad harvest could mean that members of a late Stone Age community could leave everything behind and try to start a new life somewhere else, because, after all, they really weren't leaving much behind. In the Copper and Bronze Age, this changed. Houses became more permanent. Towns included fortifications, which couldn't easily be rebuilt. Domesticated animals grew in numbers and could not be as easily transported. Furthermore, as generations of dead were buried, these places held symbolic and religious value. As generation after generation lived in a specific place, they developed highly profitable trade routes. Finally, outside travel exposed townspeople to raiders and bandits. As such, nomadism fell out of fashion as early French dwellers assumed a sedentary lifestyle. One potentially momentous invention in this period was the creation of government. Towns had an incredible diversification of roles, meaning at some point the most powerful families believed society needed to be regulated, particularly in the face of bandits and possible invaders. Thus a concept of authority developed, as power relations were defined based on seniority, martial prestige, religious pedigree, and wealth. With the emergence of authority came the development of customs. Custom can be distinguished from law, whereas law is uniformly understood within a culture and carries standardized sentences, Customs are general social guidelines and can be more easily negotiated. Finally, the development of sedentary peoples led to the emergence of recognizable ethno-linguistic groups of people, far more so than what came before. Collections of towns in a relatively small area probably developed a base language which they used to speak with one another. Consistent trade and cultural exchange led to a homogenization of smelting and pottery practices, proving that there was a trans-tribal culture in certain areas. It is from this period that the Bell Beaker culture, the Tumulus culture, and a number of other early identifiable French groups arose. It is not too unthinkable that during this period, a handful of nearby towns may have joined together to protect against raiders or engage in important joint religious ceremonies. Thus, distinct cultures and language families emerged. Alright, that will do it for this episode. I think that the past couple episodes have really set the groundwork for the pre-written history of France and the France of the 
the far, far past. Moving forward, I think France is going to be a lot more familiar to quite a lot of you. Essentially, in the next episode, we are going to be looking at the Celts. And before long, we are going to look at their violent interactions with Rome. I hope you enjoyed the millions of years of background information that these past couple episodes have gotten into. Thankfully, in the next couple of episodes, I'll be introducing individual characters, individual people, as written history begins to take effect. As always, donations keep the podcast going. So if you would like to visit our page and either make a one-time donation or become a Patreon, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for listening. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.